Okay, why don't we go to God in prayer now as we uh, really ask Him to help us to see uh, the place of mission in our lives and in our church. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to thank you for your word which instructs us that you have not left us uh, without any knowledge or truth. And we just pray that as we come to your word, you will help us to really focus and apply ourselves to it, that your Holy Spirit will uh, really help us to think seriously about uh, your will for us in our lives in regards to reaching out to people. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, why do we do uh, the things that we do? Or why do you do the things that you do? Uh, I guess it's important to ask this question is that when you do something, you, do you ever ask yourself, why do you do it? Because if you don't really ask yourself this question, why do you do something? Is there a purpose? Is there an overarching uh, you know, direction to my life, then you end up just doing things uh, from one thing to another. So a story is told of a bricklayer. You, you know what a bricklayer is, right? person who puts bricks. So uh, there were three bricklayers, and one of them was asked, you know, what are you doing? And that bricklayer said, I'm putting one brick on top of the other. And another bricklayer was asked, you know, what are you doing? He said, I'm building a wall. And the third bricklayer was, was asked, you know, what are you doing? He says, I'm making a house. Now, obviously, which is the right answer? Uh, what, what is the real purpose of a bricklayer? Well, I think the real answer is the last one, isn't it? You, you lay bricks one on top of the other, not just to, for the purpose of laying one brick on top of the other, just to build a wall, but the purpose is part of the grand scheme of things, to build a house. That's why you put bricks on top of another brick. So as a Christian, or as you go through life, is there some sort of theme to your life? Are you just sort of putting one brick on top of the other, or is there a purpose in your life? Now, as we come to uh, Romans chapter 15, uh, if we learn anything from Paul, is that he had a very clear, overarching, all-encompassing purpose or direction in his life, and he was very clear about it. Now, as we come to uh, this passage, basically, Paul is answering two questions. If you have these two questions in your mind, it will help you understand what Paul is writing about in this letter, or what God is speaking through Paul about. The first question is, why did Paul write to the Christians in Rome? Okay, the first question is, why did Paul write to the Christians in Rome? And the second question is, which is related first, is, why didn't Paul visit the Christians in Rome instead? Okay, so the first question is, why did he write? The second question is, why didn't he visit them? Now, in verse 14, he begins by answering the first question, why did he write to them? So, in verse 14, he says, uh, you can see it up on the slide up here, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Okay? I've written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again. Now, uh, Paul starts off uh, in this section by, uh, by saying that there are three things about the church in, uh, in Rome. One is they're full of goodness. The second thing is they're complete in knowledge. And the third thing is they're competent to instruct one another. Basically, in a nutshell, what he's saying is they are mature Christians. They are, they are, they are good Christians. They're not struggling in any way. Right? They're full of goodness, that means morally, they're living in a godly, righteous way. They have complete knowledge, or in your ESV, if you are using ESV, it says all knowledge, they know God's word, they, they have the knowledge of what the gospel is, and, and the, the last thing is they know it well enough to, to instruct one another, to correct one another. And uh, we already seen in chapter 1, verse 8, which is the next slide, right? oh sorry, which is down here, sorry, back again. Right? Uh, this is not inconsistent with what we know in the book of Romans, because right at the very beginning, he thanks God for Jesus Christ, for all of you 
because your faith is being reported all over the world. So this is a mature a church. It's got no scandal involved. It is uh, some, a group of people who are living righteously. So why does Paul bother to write to them? Well, he says that I've written to you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. So why does he write to this mature group of Christians? Because he wants to boldly remind them. Right? That's what he says, I want to, I've written you boldly in order to remind you of some, some things. And what are they reminded of? Well, he says there that his only job is to proclaim the gospel of God. So basically, even though they are mature Christians, they are godly, living, they, are, you know, they have enough intelligence to instruct and correct one another, he still writes to them because he wants to remind them of things. Now, what sort of things does he want to remind them of? What bold things does he have to say to them? Well, if, you, if, you, if we follow all the way from the beginning of uh, the book of Romans, which we should, um, it's all about the gospel, isn't it? All about teaching them the gospel and about pl- applying the gospel. The two elements of what Paul are doing, teaching the gospel and applying the gospel. So if you look at this slide up here, the next slide, I sort of summarize for you uh, what comes in the, in the book of uh, Romans. And chapter 1 and 2 is all about the problem of sin. Okay, the problem of sin in chapter 1 and 2. Chapter 1 was about all of people's rebellion and godliness deserving judgment. Sorry, godlessness, not godliness, godlessness, right? Deserving judgment. And chapter 2 is about how being a, a Jewish person or a good person was no protection against God's judgment. And then from chapter 3 to 5, there was the solution to sin. Okay, the solution was... Nobody can be saved by doing good works, but only in trusting in Jesus. And then chapter 6 to 8, it is about the, the great assurance of salvation that people have in Jesus. And chapter 9 to 11, he deals with the problem of, you know, why is it the Jews are not saved? And then from chapter 12 to 14, it's all about applying the gospel. So it's teaching the gospel and applying the gospel. So here, Paul was writing to a church which he had never visited at this point. He hadn't founded this church. He had no relationship to the people. But he wanted to preach and proclaim the gospel to them because they needed to be reminded of how, of the great truths of the gospel and about applying them. Now I think this is a very important lesson for us right at this very beginning, right at the very beginning of this passage is, is the Christian life begins with the preaching of the gospel and it continues with the gospel of God and it never ends. Because the whole of our lives are spent being reminded of the gospel and applying the gospel in our lives. We are being taught the gospel and we apply the gospel. So when we come and you hear from the pulpit or you go to the Bible study, that's what it's about. It's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ, either being taught in terms of this doctrine or applied in terms of its application. Now, the problem is many Christians today have lost what Paul is talking about here, the gospel of God or the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I was reading this book uh, about... Actually, I should have... Uh, let my wife read it before the talk yesterday for the women. Essentials for Lifelong Intimacy by James Dobson. Anyway, he quotes uh, this great uh, Soviet writer, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and he's asked, what is the problem with mankind in the 20th century, right? And he says, uh, if I were called upon to identify the principal trait of the entire 20th century, I would be unable to find anything more precise and 
pity than to repeat once again, men have forgotten God. Okay, so he says, you know, all the problems we have in this world is because men have forgotten God. But the same thing can be said of God's people. Men, Christian men and women, have forgotten the gospel of God. So, just over the last few weeks, uh, I've been really struck by this, because just a few weeks ago, I was speaking to this relative of mine. He goes to a very large, mainstream, denominational church in Singapore. More than 4,000 people. Then, then I was talking to him, and he said, uh, I said, you know, what do you think about this and this? And he said, you know what the gist of the Bible is? If you could summarize the Bible in one, one sentence. He said, the gist of the Bible is being a good person by following the Ten Commandments. That is not the gospel of God. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not what Paul was talking about in the book of Romans. It's about Jesus Christ dying for you on the cross and you living it out. Now, this is one end of the spectrum, right? But then on the other end of the spectrum, we have people who don't think that the Bible is all about being a good person, about, but it's about being rich. So, I uh, was giving a, another... Actually, I gave this person four books uh, because I, I didn't know what they liked. Another relative... Yeah, I've got a lot of relatives, right? And this person goes to uh, the Prosperity Gospel Church and uh, she was looking at all these books. Oh, I can't give you too many hints, right? She was looking at all these books. She says, ah, these books, huh? This is not my type of book. Could you give me something which is more entertaining, more encouraging, something to just get me through the week? At that point, I was, I was getting a bit frustrated, right? And I was thinking of the movie that I watched last week, you know, Gladiator. I watched very old movies, right? Gladiator. Where Russell Crowe is in the Colosseum and he's killed all those people, right? And he shouts to the crowd, Are you being entertained? Do you remember that part of the movie? So it's very, it's, you know, you can say that when you go to the Colosseum or play or you read a novel or a movie, are you being entertained? But when you come to church or you come to the Bible, that's the wrong question to ask, right? Because my relative only wants to read books which are entertaining and will get her through the, through the week. But God is not interested in entertaining you or getting you through the week. God is interested more to getting you to heaven. And that's why you've got to keep focusing on the gospel of God in Jesus Christ, because that's what God is interested in, the good news of God saving you to the death of Jesus, and applying that to your life. So as Christians, we can never ever move away from the gospel of God in Jesus Christ. So again, a few months ago, really, I was talking to the owner of Bethesda Bookshop, you know, I've recommended it to you a few times, and he was, um, he was saying, oh, you know, I really thank God for your church. I said, why? He says, because you buy so many commentaries and so many Bible studies from my bookshop. I said, because nowadays, he said, Christian people, uh, they're not interested in reading anymore. He said, you know where all the money is? He said, people are only interested in buying trinkets and bookmarks and CDs. He said, that's where all the money is. People are not interested in buying serious books about the Bible. But that's, that shouldn't be the case, you see, because Paul was saying, right, that we always need to be reminded and boldly confronted with the gospel and applying of our lives. Now he goes on in verse 15 to say this. Alright, on the next slide. Uh, I've written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. 
by the power of signs and miracles to the power of the Spirit. Now here, uh, Paul has a very interesting way of worshipping God. Do you notice that? How does Paul worship God? He sees himself as uh, some sort of Old Testament priest. But instead of worshipping God by giving living, uh, dying sacrifices like, you know, bulls or goats or chickens and slitting their throats and putting them and burning them up, he offers living sacrifices and living sacrifices of Gentiles. Okay, you know, he doesn't mean that he's going to slit the throat of Gentiles and put them on the altar. But what he means is, if you look very carefully, in verse 15 and 16, is that he's bringing them to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at this section that I've read, it's actually got a few really profound ideas to it. Look at what he says there. It says in verse 18, maybe I need my highlighter, verse 18, right here. He says, What Christ has accomplished through me in leading Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. Now, Paul is not saying that he just wants uh, these Gentiles, Gentiles is uh, the code word for non-believers or non-Christians, to just obey God without any reference to Jesus Christ. The idea is obedience in the book of Romans. Right? Obedience always comes from faith. You cannot have faith without obedience, and you cannot have obedience without faith. In the book of Romans, it's always come together. So if you look at the next slide, right? in chapter 1, verse 5, uh, Paul says, Through him, and for his name's sake, we have received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith. In Romans chapter 16, uh, he says there, this one, uh, this 16, Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of eternal God, so that all nations, again like the Gentiles, right, might believe and obey. Okay, so what Paul is saying is when he preaches the gospel, he wants people to come to faith and to obey. Right? And when they obey, what happens? Well, Romans chapter 12, up here, if you obey God, right, you offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So for God, for, sorry, not for God, for Paul and God, mission or reaching out to people involves preaching the gospel so that people will come to faith, and when they come to faith, they will obey God, and, and what that happens when they obey God is they become a living sacrifice to God. Can you see that? There's a process there. He preaches the gospel. People come to faith. When they come to faith, they will obey God. When they obey God, they will be living sacrifices to God. And that's what Paul sees himself. He's like this priest who's bringing people as a sacrifice to God through their faith and their obedience. Now, as you look at this passage, uh, next slide, coming back to the original passage in Romans again, Paul is a very unique person, right? Because obviously he is special. In uh, verse 15, he says that the grace... God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus. Alright? In verse 17, Christ has accomplished great things through him. And in verse 19, you notice there that he has, he has, he has done great things through the power of signs and miracles and through the power of the Spirit. 
Now, when we look at Paul's life in the Bible, he did great things because God worked through him mightily because he was an apostle to the Gentiles. In the book of Acts, uh, the next slide, uh, we see, So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. In Acts chapter 15, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Okay? Now, uh, the reason why I bring this up is because we need to see, yes, Paul is special, and God used him specially. And if you look here, the next uh, verse 19, next slide, uh, Paul preaches from Jerusalem all the way around to, okay, this funny word to, pronou- to pronounce, Illyricum, Illyricum, right? I fully proclaim the gospel of Christ. Now, what does he mean by that? Uh, does he mean that there is no unbeliever in this huge region or that he doesn't need to do any more work? No, I think what he's saying is, if you look at the next slide, this is the map, right? Oh, it's a bit hard to see, right? Okay, this is Jerusalem. Obviously, very hard to see. And this is Illyricum, uh, Roman province of uh, Dalmatia, right? So Paul is saying is in this whole region, he has fully proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what he's meaning is that there is not. He's evangelized everybody. Now what he means is that within this region, he has set up, you see all these uh, numbers, self, self-sufficient and self-propagating Christian witness. That's what he means when he says he's fully proclaimed uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul though, even though he's special, is not doing something which is unique. So if you look at the next slide, next slide, right? I I want you to think about this word, fully proclaimed. The word here literally means fulfilled. If you have your ESV Bibles, your ESV will say, I have fulfilled the gospel of Christ. This word fulfilled literally means to do something fully, to fill up to the brim. Imagine, imagine you're drinking a cup of water, it's all filled up to the top. Or it can actually mean being fulfilled, as in, you know, you, you fulfill the purpose of what it was originally designed for. So what Paul is actually saying is the gospel that we have here in the Bible, it, it has a purpose in a sense. It, it's not just meant to be kept in church, but it's meant to fill up all the places where it hasn't been heard before. It's meant to be fulfilled in that purpose. And I think that's where we come in. Because even though Paul is a special person, he's been given special powers, he's got special ministry, but yet the gospel itself, the gospel that we have here of Jesus Christ, has a purpose of being going to the world and filling it up to be fulfilled. That's how the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is fulfilled, by going out and filling it up to places which have never heard it before. And I think that that's so important for us to learn because unless people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will not be saved. Now, I wonder sometimes if Paul were to come to our world today, what would he think of mission work, the mission work that we do? See, what was Paul's vision for mission? To preach the gospel so that people would come to faith and they would obey as a result of faith and there would be a living sacrifice to God. Remember those three, four things I said? But many times today, uh, we've lost that vision because people see mission basically as uh, just doing good. 
so here I was, um, you might, obviously I don't have much interesting reading uh, material in my house because I was reading this briefing article from October 7, 1993. So I'm a bit behind in my reading. Right. Anyway, there's an article here from J.I. Packer in 1993 about why he left the World Council, sorry, WCC, WCC, the World Council of Churches. Okay, why did he leave the World Council of Churches? And the reason was, he said, because uh, in, uh, they, they, the church, uh, the World Council of Mission, uh, met in Bangkok in 1973, and they said that they would put a stop or a moratorium on cross-cultural evangelism, but instead they would focus on philanthropy and social service. See, that's the problem, because nowadays, when we think of evangelism, we think, okay, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to... Uh, offend people, we don't want to have cross-cultural imperialism, so what do we do? We just give them food, or we build houses for them, or we give them social services. But that is not mission the way the Bible sees it, and that's not mission the way Paul sees it. Because mission was preaching the gospel, bringing people to faith, and through faith, bringing people to obedience and living sacrifice. Now, even theological colleges do the same thing. Uh, if you want to become a missionary, in uh, many theological colleges, you go on the missionary track. And in those missionary tracks, you don't have to learn any Bible languages. You do less theology, you just do more practical things. In fact, many people who want to become missionaries, instead of studying three years, they just study one. But that's the wrong way, isn't it? Because Paul lives and breathes the gospel. In order to, to bring missions into the world, people need to know the gospel and apply the gospel. So again... Uh, Jared Packer was saying that in, uh, in his church they have this thing called the Bethlehem Institute of Bible Theology and Missions. Right? And he said the reason why they did it in that order, the Bethlehem Institute of Bible Theology and Missions, is because that's the order in which we, we should bring uh, people to become missionaries. They need to know the Bible, then they need to know theology, and then they can know missions. So it's the same for us, you know, it's no good for us to go into the world and just do good deeds, feed the poor, build houses, you know, help your friends. We need to preach the gospel. Without the gospel, there is no faith. Without gospel and faith, there is no obedience. And without obedience, there is no conversion. So again, uh, my relative, this imaginary relative, was telling me one day that... uh, a very successful Christian man, Christian man had gone to his church to give a, a, a talk. And this very successful business, uh, Christian, uh, Christian businessman, apparently according to my relatives, told his, the church that I never tell anybody at my workplace that I'm a Christian. And uh, my, my jaw sort of hit the table. Right? And I was thinking, well, how do you evangelize then if you never tell anybody you're Christian? He said, oh, I just become the salt and light. In the office, I'm thinking, well, how can people know that you're a Christian sort of light when you never tell anybody that you're a Christian? So if you don't tell people you're Christian, and then you don't tell them the gospel, then all people see you as a good person. And that's, that's not what mission is, according to what Paul is saying here. Paul's lifelong vision is to preach the gospel so that he would worship God by bringing people into faith and into obedience. Okay, so that's, what, that's the idea of missions that Paul has. Now, in verse 20 to 22, Paul sort of goes on and he answers, answers the question of why he never went to visit Rome. Right? You know, he didn't like Colosseums or 
you know, I don't know. All right. So in verse 20, he goes on. Next slide, I think. Oh, okay. Is it? Uh, yeah, that's right. He says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. Now here, he deals squarely with uh, the question of, why, why aren't you coming, Paul? You don't like us or something? And he says that I've, I've often wanted to come to you, but my ambition to preach the gospel has hindered me from coming to you. See, Paul would have liked to have come to visit Rome. In fact, in verse 24, I don't have it up here, if you, you should have your Bibles in front of you. Look at verse 24. He said, you know, if I come to visit you, I, I would have enjoyed your company for a while. He would have enjoyed their fellowship. But his ambition stopped him from doing the things that he liked. Now, ambition can be a, a, a good thing or a bad thing, right? Ambition can be positive and can be negative. Negative ambition is where, you know, you just want to be selfish and self-centered. You know, it's all about yourself, me, me, me. I want to get rich. I want to have fun. I want to have status. But here Paul's ambition is a holy ambition because it is in line with God's plan. It's plugged into God, what God is doing. And we know that because he quotes in verse 21 from Isaiah 52 where he says, Those who were not told about him will see... And those who have not heard will understand. Now, this is so very important because it is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Jesus Christ's death on the cross and how we fit into it, including Paul. So here in Isaiah 52, next slide, okay, I've, I've color-coded it for you. It looks forward. Isaiah 52 is, is one of the, 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 you know, the really, really important parts of the Old Testament because it points really clearly to the death of Jesus Christ and what it means. So 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah preached and Isaiah prophesied and he said, See, uh, this is what God is saying to Isaiah, My servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. Now, this is obviously, so obviously pointing to what Jesus did on the cross, right? He, he was disfigured. He was, people looked at him and they, they, they think, no, this is terrible. Right? How they, they, they whipped him or the pain that he went through and the suffering and the disgrace. And in verse 15, it goes on to say that he does this, he goes to the cross so that he will sprinkle many nations. Now the idea of sprinkling comes from the Old Testament where when you, when you are sprinkled with water, you are cleansed, ceremonially cleansed of your sins. So Jesus goes to the cross to cleanse not just one or two people, but many nations. But that is not all. He says, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. So God's plan is not just for Jesus to die on the cross to bring forgiveness to nations, and then, end of story. God's plan, 700 years before Jesus came, was that he would go to the cross, die for people, people will be forgiven their sins, and other people who had not heard will hear of what Jesus has done, and the good news of what he has done. So, what Paul's ambition is to preach the gospel should be 
our ambition. Because we must be part of God's will, part of God's plan, isn't it? When you say your Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done, you mean that literally in your own life, isn't it? May God's will be done in my life. So what is your ambition? Do you have a selfish ambition to just live for yourself, your own pleasures, your own wealth, your own status, your own career? Or do you have a holy ambition like Paul, who sees the need to preach the gospel so that those who have not heard will hear, those who have not seen will see, and those who do not understand will understand. Now, uh, a few years ago, I, was, uh, I came to church and I was really shocked because there, sitting where the end was sitting, was Don Carson. Okay, now, Don Carson is like this great writer, you know, he's, he's quite a prominent person, okay. And I remember after the, the service, uh, a few of you all went to talk to Don. And uh, Jerry's not here, he's in the, in the children's church. I remember Jerry, you all know Jerry, right? Jerry went up to Don Carson and asked him, are you having fun? Right. And then Don Carson said, fun doesn't come into the equation. Right? I think Jerry was like, <laughs> okay, how do I answer that, right? And what he was trying to say was, he wasn't in Singapore to have fun, but to preach. And I think, to and, and part of, apparently he was preaching during the day, and at night he was writing a book, right? So, that was what he was doing during his time in Singapore. I don't know whether he saw anything. But what he was saying, saying was, when you have ambition, then you will not do other things that you might enjoy, have fun, because you have this ambition, isn't it? I mean, if you want to get rich, well, you deny yourself doing all these other things because you're working hard. If you want to preach the gospel, well, you deny yourself other things. So, do we as a church, do we as individuals have this ambition, which is part of God's will to, to, to let people who have not heard hear? That's what Paul was saying, isn't it? He wants to fulfill the gospel of Christ to people who have not heard. So John Piper uh, was saying, he, he, uh, John Piper is this pastor in America, he was saying that when he was a pastor in Minneapolis in America, he was reflecting on uh, the, the mission work going on, and he opened his yellow pages in those days, I suppose, yellow pages, now no more, right? And uh, he counted how many churches there were in the whole city of Minneapolis in America. I, I don't know how big the city is, it must be a fairly sizable city. And he, and he counted, and he estimated that there were more churches in Minneapolis than there were American missionaries to the unreached people groups in the world. So there are 1.9 billion people, not million, 1.9 billion people in the world who are classed as unreached people. That means there is no viable Christian witness in that society. That means they have no opportunity to read a Bible, they will meet no Christians in their lifetime, they will bump into no church, right? And he said that there's more than 1.9 billion people out of 10,000 people groups, and by the only 700 American missionaries to those 1.9 people, but there were thousands more churches in Minneapolis. And he said, how can this be if God has a plan to go out into the world and to fill it with his word, the gospel of Jesus Christ? And John Piper said there's only one word for that. Disobedience. It's because we are disobedient to God. We, do not, we are not living according to God's will. So he said that uh, basically, uh, there are only three options for every church, isn't it? We either go, we sin, or we disobey. And he said, well, the third option is not really option at all, isn't it? Because you're disobeying God. He said, part of the problem, you know, when you think about it, is that we always think 
How is God going to serve us? You know, God is going to give me my house. God is going to fulfill my dreams. He's going to make me happy. He's going to make me entertain. He's going to encourage me. But actually, as Christians, we serve God. So, will we go or will we send? Well, I think uh, sending is something that uh, is very, very important. Okay, We need to send people and we need to support people who are out there preaching the gospel to people who have never heard before. Now, I sometimes meet Christians uh, in my son's school who drive these really, really, really expensive sports cars. Okay? And um, sometimes I think, you know, when I look at their sports cars, I think, you know, I have friends of mine who are classmates of mine in theological college who are working in Nigeria, who are working in Eastern Europe, who are working in the Pacific Islands. If you sold your car, you probably fund the, 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 your mission, the, my missionary friend's uh, ministry for the rest of their life. Right? But every year I'm getting letters from my friends in Nigeria or Eastern Europe to say, I was saying, I don't have enough money for the year. Can, we, can you make extra ordinary giving? So, if you think about it, if you have this ambition, a holy ambition to preach to, you know, the gospel to, to people who haven't heard before so that they have, may have faith and obey it, then you'll be like Paul, isn't it? You, you want to do something, but your ambition stops you from doing it. Because you see that there is a greater, a greater overarching purpose to your life. Not just have fun, not just to get rich or amass a fortune, or to retire at a young age, but to actually preach the gospel. And we, so it's quite sad because, you know, Australia is a very rich country. Singapore is a very rich country. But there are still people from churches in both Singapore and Australia that I know of who are missionaries who cannot get enough support. So one of my lecturers in theological college was telling us once that he visited a church member who's, who, in Australia who lived in this big house with this swimming pool and many cars. And as he was sitting there, he was, he was sort of thinking, you know, why is it that we don't have enough money for our missions organization? Isn't it? Because you have these really rich people, but obviously they, don't, they are not filled with this ambition to be part of God's will to bring the message out to those who have not heard and those who have not understood. Now, it's not just about uh, sending, okay, but it's also about going. And I think that... Um, uh, if God is calling you, then maybe you should be a missionary for the rest of your life. If uh, if not, then you can still go to you know short term missions. So like okay, we go to Batam Island, or if we go to Vietnam, and I, and I saw the email last week saying that we don't have enough people to go to Batam the camp in July. And you you ask well if, if people have an ambition to want to go to preach the gospel to those who haven't heard, then, then why not go to share the orphans and slum dwellers in Batam, right? Because after all, it's just, you know, one weekend of a year out of the 52 that you have, and uh, out of the, I don't know how many hundreds of weekends you have in the rest of your life, or even if you just go there to, to teach them, it's not just, not just a weekend, it's just a Saturday. Two Saturdays out of 365 days. So like, um, what John Piper said, imagine if Jesus Christ came tomorrow and uh, said, you know, it was my will that when I died and I rose again and I cleansed and saved people that it didn't end there, but that people who did not hear would hear. Have you obeyed in this part? What excuse would you give them? I mean, what excuse would you give to God? So how much time do you spend thinking about reaching out 
to people who have never heard? How much time do you spend praying to people who have never heard? How much time do you, do you spend actually giving support in any way to people who have never heard? Now, last of all, I guess what Paul is doing and what God is doing doesn't just apply to people outside of Singapore, but in your own context, right, in your schools, in your offices, you know, to your friends, uh, what are you doing in terms of bringing the gospel to them? Do you have a strategy? Is it something that you do? Because as we look at this passage, evangelism is not just being the salt and light of the world. It's about preaching the gospel, people coming to faith, and people coming to obedience. There is nothing more, there is nothing less than that. And it's not enough if you just go to your office or your school or your, you know, whatever setting you find yourself and just say, well, I'll just be the salt and light of the world, right? Because it is so much more than that unless they hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, they will not actually be saved and they will not actually be part of God's plan uh, that, and will to, to bring the gospel to all these people. So I'd like you to just ponder for a moment, reflect for a moment, uh, whether you're living in line with God's will in this way and if not, how can you actually change? And uh, as you reflect on that, for a moment or two, I'll close in prayer. Okay, let me, uh, let me close in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to see that Paul's overarching ambition in life was to live and to preach your gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ dying to save the world, to cleanse the world. Help us to see that Paul was special, but he was also special that he was unique and that we have no part to play in this plan that you have for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to see that your gospel needs to be fulfilled and fully proclaimed to where it has never been heard. That uh, it needs to reach those who have not seen and not heard and to be seen and heard and they need to understand And that can only come through us opening our mouths and our lives to explain and preach the gospel to people. And we pray for each and every one of us here and as a church that we will be faithful uh, to your will to seek and save the lost and that we will have that ambition that Paul had to deny ourselves pleasures, to deny ourselves uh, things which have no eternal benefit or value and to instead be part of your plan to bring this wonderful gospel of salvation to those who have not heard. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.